0: Hi, I'm John Niehaus, Director of Program Development for the National Association of Flight Instructors. I'd like to welcome you back to another episode of the NAFI, More Right Rudder Podcast, the podcast for flight instructors on the go. And today I have a special guest with me. His name is Dan Dyer. He's been a flight instructor for about 19 years. He is a CFI, double I, and a Hilo instructor. He's a former flight school owner and currently is the Director of Operations for San Carlos Flight Center. And right now, he specializes in teaching other instructors, and that's something that uh, at NAFI, we're very passionate about as well. They have uh, uh, developed a program that they call the CFI Finishing School, and Dan's here to talk to us a little bit about that. So first and foremost, Dan, welcome uh, welcome to the podcast.
1: Hi, John. Thanks for having me. It's a great podcast. I like instructors talking about instructing. I love it.
0: Well, thanks. Thanks. And, uh, you know, before we get too far into the actual uh, program of CFI Finishing School, which is a great name, by the way, um, let's find out a little bit more about you. How did you get into flight school ownership and and how did you sort of uh, step into this role of teaching other instructors? You know, I, I
1: started flying late. I think I was 38 when I started, first got into aviation. I had a career change and just decided out of the blue I was going to be the helicopter pilot for the TV news and started taking helicopter lessons. And along the way, learning to fly was was fantastic. And uh, I didn't really feel safe as a private helicopter pilot. So I kept going until I became an instructor when I finally felt safe. Uh, And uh, at the time, I was also dabbling in teaching and, you know, business or, or marketing, doing some aspect like that. And Teaching aviation just ended up being amazing because I love teaching and people love learning about aviation. And so I decided to kind of tweak my my interest and stay as an instructor. I got in an airplane and enjoyed teaching in an airplane and, and uh, taught as a flight instructor for many years. And I probably still would be doing that if uh, I, the the school I was teaching at uh, it, it just like. It just wasn't, I don't know, fun enough. There were things that I kept butting heads with in terms of curriculum or or activities and planning. And so I just decided I was going to start my own flight school and try to be the best school in the country. And and uh, that was I did that. Uh, it, that was a, a big that was a really exciting journey. And along the way, uh, when you own the school, you end up being chief pilot and uh, teaching, I went from more from teaching individual students to teaching the instructor core and leading the instructor team, and and I really love that. I still really love uh, working with new instructors, uh, helping them get more experience and get more direction. And, and so, uh, as you said, my my role now is more as a train the trainer to help help instructors be more effective. That's excellent.
0: That's excellent. Now, uh, out of curiosity, I find that when I talk to flight school owners, especially those that um, were instructors significantly, or for a significant period of time before starting a school, that sometimes that transition can be a little bit of a struggle. How was uh, jumping from instructor to owner? Was that a tough transition for you? So, I mean i i I like
1: I like event management, and so uh, you know, setting up and planning things. I, when we started out, you know, I I didn't buy a school, which probably would have been cheaper. I started one from scratch and went from tiny to bigger and bigger and bigger. So I was always learning about what to do. And I just am comfortable making mistakes and then trying something else. And so uh, the whole course of the building the school was It was a training environment for me to learn what it was like to be an owner and to learn what it was to be a chief pilot. And and I thought that ended up giving me a really great perspective. I mean, the the flight school that I'm at, we acknowledge that it's a training environment and it has to be okay for students to make mistakes as long as they learn from it. And so it was always important to me at my flight school. It had to be okay. for the instructors and for the staff, it had to be okay for us to try things and make mistakes as long as we were learning from it. So I kind of felt my way through the dark in building, building the program. I, I wouldn't change
0: a thing, though. It was really great. It was a great experience. Comfortable making mistakes. I like that. I, I feel like that needs to be written on a <laughs> tattoo somewhere or something. I don't know. So um, CFI Finishing School, tell me what that is and, and how it came to be. So, so there's a lot of
1: great CFI training programs around the country. I have friends who run schools and run CFI training programs, and and that's fine. We do. We've been teaching CFIs uh, at the Flight Center for a long time. But what we found is that this kind of came about as a result of our hiring process. We're we're known for having very effective instructors, and in our hiring process, we're constantly interviewing CFI applicants, and they just weren't coming up to. To, to snuff of where we're hiring, they didn't have the depth of knowledge, or they just didn't have the the right focus. And what we realized it's CFI training programs, they do really well at their goal, and their goal is to pass the check right. Mm-hmm. Their goal is to pass the knowledge test and to pass the practical test. And that's absolutely fine, and it's a really important step, and you have to do it. Uh, once you get that certificate, though, you know then you start teaching, and I, I remember when I started teaching, I think it was probably six months in before I really felt competent as an instructor. I fumbled around as a new instructor. And so I think it's very common uh, for, for people to come out of the CFI program with good intention, but knowing just enough to pass the test. You know, some, sometimes we talk about in the private pilot world that the FAA standards are you have to be 70% good to be a private pilot. And you keep learning afterwards, and the truth is that seventy percent pass rate applies to instructors taking their check rights too, so you can pass the knowledge test knowing seventy percent of what you should and even the uh, in terms of the check right you can you can maybe not know everything perfectly uh and certainly you may not know how to do it effectively with one on one with a student until many months after teaching and so we were always struggling to bring in instructors, great people who wanted to learn, who are passionate about effective instruction, but just hadn't had the time to get up to speed. And so uh, for years, we've been building up our CFI indoctrination program, the new hire program. They come in and they go through a four week period where we're building them up and giving them the additional depth in ground topics and helping them understand the role of the CFI uh, in, in a greater depth maybe. And uh, we finally just decided, you know, we, we do that for new hires. Why, uh, why don't we allow other people who want to get to that level of you know, effectiveness uh, that they have their certificate and now they want to finish? Uh, and so we started offering a CFI finishing school and uh, welcoming in instructors. Uh, Either if they want to someday teach for us or if they want to go uh, become a better, more effective instructor and go back to their school or their flying club and and do that. It's it's really a place for people who are really passionate about instruction as a profession uh, and really want to get to a deeper level, a more meaningful level than really just having the certificate and sitting next to somebody in a plane. Hmm.
0: So there's a key thing I just picked up on um, from what you just said, and that's it's not just for your new hires that you allow instructors from other places to come in and and try to learn to be more effective and and better educators. That's, that's an interesting thing. How does that, how does that work when you get somebody who maybe has been instructing for a little while mixing in with brand new instructors in your, in your class? You know, there can be a little bit of a
1: tension there. I mean, uh, because there, there really are two types of instructors. There are brand new instructors who are wet behind the ears and have a certificate and no experience, and then there are other instructors, maybe high time instructors, who are coming in with knowledge that may be out of date, or practices and and you know behaviors that are uh, you know now ingrained that maybe aren't effective, and and it can be there's a little tension there working with somebody who's very advanced and trying to help them see that there maybe can be a more effective way to do student management or or to approach a maneuver in a different way. Uh, and so that but one, one thing I like about the flight centers we've always been on this quest to find better ways to do things. And so mm-hmm. when like when I travel around the country, I often stop at any flight school I could visit just to see how they do things. And if I see a great idea, we do like, oh, that's such a great idea. We should do that. You know we're just really passionate about sharing knowledge with other schools or seeing other what other schools are doing our our motto has always been if you're not on our airport you're not our competitor and as an you know as schools and around the country and as instructors there's so much more we can share with each other uh, than and learn from each other and you know and help all the the, the rising wind raises all airplanes kind of thing mm-hmm. uh, and so we do get some instructors with high time who uh want to want to approach it afresh uh that that doesn't always happen you know it's easy to get set in your ways as an instructor this is the way i've always done it this is the order i always do it uh and and um and so much more we probably get much more of new brandly, new minted instructors uh, with a new certificate maybe they're applying to schools and they're not getting hired anywhere uh, and this is a way for them to get uh, you know, to to raise their personal level of competency so that they can get hired somewhere. Uh, we also occasionally get uh, people who are working on their CFI. Sometimes we've let in a CFI candidate, you know, somebody who's working, hasn't taken the check ride yet. Although really, when somebody's working toward their check ride, their focus needs to be on the practical test and the knowledge test and, and go get that and then come to us and we'll have a deeper conversation about what it is. You know, the I think the way to think about it is if you're an instructor, you, you might remember that you started teaching and you kind of made it up on the go and you just kind of clung in there and you hung on. And then about six months in, you start having conversations that are like at a meta level, you start having a conversation with other instructors like, you know, why do we teach stalls? What what's really the essence of what's going on here? And so those conversations are what we ta- we spend a lot of time talking about at CFI finishing school, trying to bring that additional depth to somebody even before they've worked with their first student, so that they can maybe get a, a head start on teaching.
0: That's great. Cause I I like you remember my first uh my first six months in uh it's a lot to figure out on your own especially if you're at a a part 61 school that may not do a lot of you know CFI indoctrination it's it's all you and i did the best i could and and i think i did right by my students but uh i think i could have done a little bit better too so um yeah without anyway. a
1: doubt i mean any instructor knows those first 6 months first year you are learning as much as your student is learning it's different but you are learning as much as they are and i mean i have very clear memories Of going to senior instructors almost in tears and saying, I have no idea how to tell this guy how to land. You know, (laughs) this guy is, you know, I remember one student was every time we did the climbing right turn in the pattern, the yaw just broke loose and was flying all over the place. And I hadn't processed anything at, at any sufficient depth. That I knew what was going on and I had to go to another instructor and say, you, you gotta walk me through this. And so that's what CFI Finishing School is instructors helping instructors kind of at a deeper level.
0: I love that. I love that. And there's probably a third group in there too, right? Do you get a lot of maybe instructors who are coming back to the profession? Maybe they've gone and done some other things and, and taken years off and come back to try to get acquainted. Or does Yeah, that that's true. Much? We
1: we have had that where somebody was, you know, successful in business. And did something else with their life and now they're at retirement age and all what they really want to do is teach again. And the, the, they, they've been out of it for a while and they want to, you know, the ACS is completely different now than it was when mm-hmm. we started. And there's new maneuvers. And, yeah, we do get people who want to reconnect with what's happening currently in aviation or to push themselves deeper than they did back when they, when they were training. Um, cool. You know, we're, we're really we we're, we talk a lot about the role of the instructor. And um, I think in a way that isn't really taught uh, or talked about in a lot of other programs because people just haven't had the experience with it. So uh, an instructor who taught for a while and then went away when they come back, they're ready to have that conversation about what it means. What, what is this role of being an instructor and how different is it from what people expect? And honestly, we're, at the Flight Center, we think it's completely different from what most people think when they, yeah. when they think flight instructor. So touching back on the program people, it, I think you know, a lot of people uh, think being an instructor is like you know you can fly really well and you can sit in the right seat and then people will learn by osmosis and and it's so different from that
0: So touching back on the program and I think you you have hinted at this but how is this different than sort of your standard Instructor indoctrination for like a 141 school or a university or something like that. How what, what do you guys do that uh, makes this specifically a finishing school? So it, prob-
1: it probably it I mean it, it came out of our own indoct program. So it probably has much in common with a 141 indoct program. We probably push way deeper on some advanced ground topics. Uh, we probably push way deeper on the purpose you know, uh, the, the the maneuver training theory as opposed to just maneuver training. And so it's a, it's a little bit more, okay, close the door, we're all instructors, let's talk about teaching. It's a little bit more than that as opposed to just saying, do this. If you put tab A in slot B, then your student will pass the, you know, the 141 syllabus. And so it, it's a little bit more philosophical. I think it's a little bit more uh, big picture
0: so what kind of topics are you uh referring to when you're covering these things
1: so like like uh so the program's divided into you know maybe four major categories but you know where there's like the role of the instructor there's a bunch of advanced ground topics there's a bunch on student management uh and there's a bunch on maneuver you know flight training theory Mm -hmm. uh like in the ground topics i think there's a huge chasm of what somebody needs to know to pass the knowledge test and get their CFI certificate. There's a huge difference between that and what you need to know to look a student in the eye when they say, what? You know, you say, hey, here's a little learning test. And your ability to know it at a depth so that you can present it in a way that gets past whatever their initial roadblock is, that you really do understand what's going on way past road. Uh, that that's, that's something we have to spend a lot of time on. We, had, we have a list of things we call the 20 hardest private pilot concepts. And for years, we used it in CFI hiring. And most CFIs with a new certificate would get maybe four out of the 20 questions right. They've just never been pushed uh, very deep. I mean, if most new instructors, you ask them, what is density altitude? they will say pressure altitude adjusted for non standard temperature which is the rote of the knowledge test yeah. and it's maybe how you calculate it but it's no, it, it comes nowhere near answering what is density altitude and your student will look at you and they want to know what it is and so uh going that depth getting to that depth with ground so that you understand it uh not just rote but at a functional level you know uh that's 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 what we do in I finish finishing school and um, we in our hiring process we ask new applicants to submit a teaching video, and a lot of them choose to submit one on left turning tendencies hmm. and there's just a lot of pilot urban legend out there in left turning tendencies, and so we get people who submit things that they heard from their instructor who heard from their instructor they heard from their instructor and it's just wrong it just doesn't just doesn't really apply anymore or it doesn't, they don't understand the fullness of it. I've had instructors, candidates look me in the eye and saying, gyroscopic precession doesn't, doesn't happen with nose wheel airplanes. And that's like, okay, that's, that's somewhere along the way you got a shortcut answer and you stop there. And that's not true. That gyroscopic precession absolutely affects anything with a spinning propeller, uh, with a single propeller. And uh, so we go into that depth for ground topics and try and get people to understand it at the level they need to. So when their widely diverse student group looks them in the eye and says, I don't understand that, can you try saying it another way? That they have that depth to to access it and say it another way.
0: Hmm. You know, it's funny because my next question was actually going to be what kinds of things do you find that you have to help instructors unlearn? <laughs> so obviously gyrosco- gyroscopic precession and left turning tendencies might be one of those things. But what other kinds of things are you seeing where instructors are coming in? You're going, "Wow, I need to to get this habit out of them so that we can make them more effective." So if we go way highbrow, how lift is created? I mean, there's things we know in the last
1: twenty years that they weren't teaching forty years ago, mm-hmm. and so you know. The, everyone says Bernoulli and draws pretend wings and talks and talks about, and we've just moved so far away from that, that you're missing out. If you, if, if your pat answer is lift is created by Bernoulli and, uh, and it, and I think you're doing your students a disservice because I, if you really teach your student how lift is generated, they understand the need for the smooth flow of the wing and how frost destroys that. They understand that the different ways that the pilot can control the amount of lift is generated. So at slow speeds, they inherently understand why flaps add safety. And so, you know, the, the lift equation can be written in all manner of different ways, and it can be a bit academic, but there's a purpose there that really does save lives. And that's, you know, helping your student understand the method that lift is created is not just some wrote answer on a knowledge test. It 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 really does critically matter uh, when you're pre-flighting the airplane or, or or when you're making decisions about how to operate the airplane. So um, that there's um, there's a lot of pilot urban legend about induced drag that's just wrong out there. Um, there's uh, I don't know if uh, I don't know if you spent any time uh, teaching instructors, but hide a low lookout below. You know, there's some really still value there, but people who use it twice have to understand it's two completely different ways to use it, and most people use it the second way wrong. Mm-hmm. And so there's some there's some ways that uh, if you know in, if you've ever in a been a flight training environment where there's four tables and four instructors and a lot of training going on, and you hear other students one on one, you know, I remember years ago being in a, that environment and hearing some things that were passed down from instructor to student and then instructor to student, instructor to student. And a lot of it uh, just has been superseded or, or because of that, you know, the telephone game, something got wrong a long time ago and it just keeps getting perpetuated. So many instructors will say uh, P factors caused by uh, the the propeller taking a bigger bite, uh, which they think implies angle of attack differences. And it turns out that's, that's really not what's going on, but it's, it makes for a nice soundbite, and it gets passed down for generations. And, and so, so there's a level of ground for, pe- for instructors who are really passionate about being able to answer the question from your, your, your student who's a physicist, or the one who's an engineer, or the one who isn't. You know, the Different students are going to have different depths of uh, questions. And we're trying to prepare the instructors to have like a, a broader broader pool to source uh when responding to student questions
0: that's great i i wish i had that when i was first starting out because i actually did have an engineer student and boy some of the questions i got you know you never want to say i don't know but of course you never want to make things up either and you knew that a engineer is gonna probably call bs on you so (laughs) yeah (laughs) that was a struggle for me um So you had submitted uh, a little bit of information on this course prior, and one of the things that uh, caught my eye was the difference between maneuver training and maneuver theory training that you guys do. Tell me a little bit about that.
1: So, you know, maneuver training, to do a stall, to pass a check ride, you do this, you do this, you do this, and you meet the ACS standards, and it's done. And that's maneuver training. Maneuver theory training is when you sit down with an instructor, especially a new instructor, and you say, why are we doing this? Why are we doing this stall? Do you really just need to sit next to your student until they pass the check right? Absolutely not. Especially in stall training, there's some real fundamental issues. We absolutely need the student to have an inherent sense of an impending stall. like They can detect it. They know the conditions in a variety of different configurations. And we absolutely need to build into them an automated quick response to recover from a stall. So those are real important goals for maneuver training. And and then deeper than that, during stall training is a fantastic time to deepen the pilot's control of the aircraft. Mm. And so the way we do stall training is really specifically designed to emphasize stability, Uh, And eyes outside and control. I mean, we emphasize, uh, uh, you know, yaw dampening during stall management, not because the ACS says it. It's because during that point in the student pilots training, we're trying to improve so that rudder control is automatic. uh, They look outside and they just do the right thing because it it keeps them safe. And uh, so we use stall training as a way to make them land better. We, we actually we use takeoff training. We do an entire uh, uh, takeoff lesson uh, well before they work on landings. And if we do it right, if we teach them the right way to take off, they land better. If we teach them the right way to taxi, they land better. So, so maneuver theory training, some of it is helping instructors realize it's not just sit next to them until they pass the ACS. There are some there are some interim goals for, uh, you know, airplane control and skills development that we're that we're working on the long game for. We're we're trying to build a pilot that has an instinctive safety and depth of aircraft control. And uh, and so that's 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 some of the things we talk about in maneuver theory training. And I I I mean, it's just something we're passionate about. It doesn't it doesn't mean we may have it completely wrong. But sometimes I'll read or I'll hear stories of somebody saying that they can teach somebody to solo in five hours, and it just scares the heck out of me because I we we never let anybody in the runway environment. Uh, We we work on we don't do landings until we know that at altitude that they are completely at one with the aircraft, Mm. that they see the yaw, that they feel the pitch, that they can hold stable, that they can, and once they're complete master of the aircraft. We bring them down into a landing environment where they extend the mastery of that control in this kind of dangerous situation. And uh we just feel like to do anything else, to 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 put somebody into maneuver training without them master the the prerequisite aircraft controls, it's just uh, it you're not doing them a service. You're not building in in not building any long-term uh safety or aircraft control. You know, the People, I often get asked, what's the best way for a new instructor to, you know, to improve? I mean, you know, talk to other instructors, of course. But honestly, you know, the Aviation Instructors Handbook, uh, that that book is really the difference between a good pilot and a good instructor. I mean, mm-hmm. a good pilot can do the stuff, but an instructor teaches. And that book I mean, there, there's some silliness in that book. There's some FAA acronyms and stuff. About half that book is a little bit silly, but half of it is pure gold to the instructor. The laws of learning are pure gold. If you don't understand how true they are and how powerful they are, uh, and you don't use that to inform the order you use in your syllabus, or you don't use the laws of learning to understand whether you're creating a distracting environment and getting in the way of your own instructing, uh, you're missing out. And and so uh, I, I think that that's what we mean. Like it's not just doing. You don't just do a steep spiral, or you don't just do a, uh, uh, you know, a steep turn. You don't you don't you don't just do a uh, crosswind landing. You, they, every one of those, even though the goal is to do that maneuver correctly, the real goal is to increase control of the aircraft and to add fundamental skills and depth along the path to the checkride.
0: Yeah, I like that. I've I've done some interviews in the past. And I'm trying to remember who told me this, but it's one of my, my favorite quotes over the last couple of years. And that's um <clears throat> excuse me, the ACS and the PTS are the worst you can possibly do and still pass the check ride. And um it's incredible to hear how far you guys are are taking that to make sure that, as you say, the the mastery of the airplane is there um and you know not just with your students but with your instructors they they pass the check right and who knows you know how well they may or may not have done on that and that's okay but you're bringing them take from that that acs to up here and and that's always refreshing to hear
1: yeah and we i mean we use fa source materials uh we source fa materials and then we build off that so I mean, I, I definitely don't want to attack the ACS. I think it's true that you can pass a check right at the 70% competency level. That's just kind of how they they grade things. Um, but I, I, I do like how specific the ACS is about defining the check, right? I do like that. And also oh, yeah. um, the, the, when they went from the PTS to the ACS, they, the raising and profile of risk management to be the third leg of the stool Uh, I thought was fantastic, and that fits in really well with uh, the way that we approach things, too. I mean, part of, I I talked about in the CFI Finishing School, we spent a lot of time talking about the role of the instructor, and you're not just sitting next to somebody. Uh, A a flight instructor, I think, is unique uh, in the educational community because you really have to be three types of instructor. You have to be, to teach ground, you have to be a classroom-style instructor. Uh, to teach risk management, you don't teach risk management. You model risk management. You you show by example risk assessment and making good decisions. You model uh, risk management as an as an instructor in the same way that a parent kind of does. I, and the, and, the, and as a flight instructor, I think you don't really teach flight instruction. You 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 know the truth is eye hand coordination skills, muscle memory skills. You don't teach a student; they teach themselves through trial and error. So your role is to give them exercises and to create a laboratory, you know, a safe place at altitude for them to do exercises and teach themselves how pitch works and how the rudders work. And so in that sense, we're much more like a coach. And I know of no other kind of teaching position where you have to be three completely different, you know, modes of instructor. And I think that's what makes uh, flight instruction really interesting.
0: Yeah, I've always found it incredible how many different hats we have to wear as instructors because you just never know what you're going to encounter that day.
1: Yeah, we spend a
0: lot of time talk- at the flight and We talk- spend a lot of time
1: talking about, you know, if a student's struggling to handle a maneuver or a skill, we say, you know, you're creating the exercise. That's all you do is create the exercise. Tell me, tell me what, what the exercise you've created. And if that exercise isn't working to have the student self-teach them the skill, here's how we could change the exercise exercise a little bit and maybe that will help them focus in on the one dimension that they need to or or you know how can we move remove distractions or how can we uh give them a different context or something you know i really a flight instruct the flight instruction portion of it you are much more the designer of learning than you are you sit next to me here's how you do a stall up this 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 No, nobody learns flight training by watching you move the controls and so Um, It's it's I think it's really fascinating. I love I love uh, flight instruction for that reason. You really are creating the
0: laboratory
1: for the student to teach themselves. Hmm.
0: So out of curiosity, I mean, when you have these new instructors, um, you know, certainly there can be some fear associated with being new to the job. Right. Um, You have to learn to give the students some leeway to make the mistakes that we've already talked about. Um, what's your best advice for an instructor coming in who is trying to build that comfort level, but maybe they're still a little, you know, frightened of doing stalls with with students or landings with students? What what does that look like to you? So, so I mean, the, the, it happens to all of us. I think the best
1: thing we can do is tell each other stories. So, I mean, in CFI Finishing School, I talk about the first demo flight I ever gave where i walked around the plane i got the student in the plane we sat in the plane i go to start the engine and the student said shouldn't we take the ropes off the plane uh, i had you know I, it was my first my first demo flight i hadn't i hadn't even bothered to remove i did the pre-flight except for removing the tie-down chains and i was like oh yeah yeah yeah, yeah. get out take all the ropes off start up the engine we go off and then halfway through the demo flight it finally dawned on me that i was in the pilot seat and they were in the right seat and i just and I was like okay so at, you know we're going to make mistakes uh, and we're going to do things that that you're not going to be perfect in those first few months but what you have to be perfect is you have to keep them safe uh and you can recover from a stall and you can you know if you can keep them safe in the landing then that's okay. And, um, and then just listen to the stories of the other instructors about what we were all nervous about it. There's a, there's an imposter syndrome It's a very legitimate thing, and it goes away after three or four flights. And, and we just talk about the instructor, just bear with it for three or four flights. Uh, and the truth is, uh, you know, if you have a very strong syllabus and a school that supports you and adheres to the syllabus, as long as a new instructor is one lesson ahead in that strong syllabus uh, and and that you know, they understand that one lesson they can be very very effective even from the very beginning and um, and so so working mentoring from older instructors to younger instructors or having having you know the school support you with with uh, training materials uh, we our syllabus that our students see uh has two hidden sections for every lesson and the two hidden sections the only the instructor can see one of them is teaching tips where it goes into okay here's how you actually teach it here's the here's the the exercises that seem to be really effective here here's the very common way to describe this and 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 all of that came just from other instructors anytime one of our instructors comes up with an innovation, a better way of saying something, or, or an exercise in the plane that makes it very easy for somebody to acquire a skill—we just drop it into the, the the legend book, the instructor guide, where you know all our best learning from old to new is passed. Uh, and and uh, but but the it's never going to go away. You're going to be a new instructor. It's but if it, if you do everything right after a couple flights, it starts it starts to go away. And also, you realize that you really are being effective. That you're being too hard on yourself. You are being effective. They are learning fundamental skills. You are keeping them safe. You're helping them reach their goal. And uh, it, it goes away after a few flights.
0: Yeah, I like that. And, and I'm assuming that built into that, one of the sort of passion projects for NAFI here is instructor professionalism. Um, you know, what kinds of things are you sort of baking into these lessons about uh, instructor professionalism in the industry?
1: Uh, we talk about just, you know, there's what professional means in terms of like timeliness, you know, and appearance and mannerisms and all that. Uh, with regard to uh, flight instruction, I think it's, we spend a lot of time talking about how, you know, being the coach in the plane means giving feedback in a way that gr- grown up adults may not be used to. And so there's a lot of really bad ways to give feedback or on professional ways yeah. to give feedback in the air uh, that, that may inadvertently destroy the lesson. Uh, you know, if you as the instructor guy, give them some feedback of something that's not critical to the lesson at hand, you've distracted them and we may we may lose the, the value of that session. So so we do talk about um, uh, being professional. We talk we talk about student management uh, with regard to here are some common student emotional situations and why how you need to be you know uh uh, what's the word um uh, not not passive but you 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 don't react to it right there's somebody's gonna some people are very hard on themselves as students and may lash out and you know how how to deal with a student that's you know projecting or something you have to be um
0: at peace. Uh, <laughs> it's another hat to wear. wear, right? You know, you, yeah. you we're psychologists in addition to flight instructors and leaders, communicators, coaches. I like that, that uh, that's what you've been saying quite a bit. So it's, it, it's just another hat that you have to, to be able to Yeah, understand. In the plane, you have to be a student whisperer. Yeah. Uh, you know, if they, and you have to watch the
1: maneuver and watch the student and somewhere in there is the grain of what went wrong. And you have to see it and go, OK, let's try that again. But we're going to do the first hold that first maneuver a little bit longer until you're stable and then go on to the next thing. Or, or um, you know, even as simple as understanding, uh, you know, you as an instructor, you have a great bandwidth for stimulation and you can be listening to traffic and uh, radio calls uh, and have it not throw you off your game but a new student who's at the edge of capability may be rattled by every traffic call that goes off and understanding that because of that capability difference you need to maybe have the radio down or or figure out a way to have the radio only playing in your ears or something like that or go into an area or where you know you, you have less traffic to worry about or something so it that's that, those, those are my favorite conversations when an instructor, maybe a new instructor, maybe an advanced instructor, will come in and say, here's what's going on. We're working on this and here's what's happening and here's where the student seems to be stumped. How do we how do we work that muscle out in the massage? You know, how do we work that knot out? Hmm. And we talk about, OK, well, it it may be that this is what's happening here. Try this exercise to help them move past that one little uh barrier and see if that unlocks them uh, and so um, yeah it, that the role of the instructor as the as the detective uh, figuring because like I said they're teaching themselves you just have to watch it and create uh, create ways that they that you keep continue to challenge them in a way that they're building up safety and they're building up skills in kind of the order that's most effective
0: I I think that's great and as we start to wind things down, kind of back to sort of the finishing school program itself, um, you know, you've been doing this for a while and uh, just wondering, as you measure sort of your, your effectiveness from uh, the, the beginning to end, how are, you, uh, how are you feeling about it? Is it, is it working for you? It must yeah, be. I mean,
1: we, we, we talked about it for a long time before we started the program. We'd always been doing the uh, in-doc program. Uh, and we've always done CFI training, but we never, we hadn't really approached it as an isolated, uh, a separate training program. And and we've, we've been really happy with it now, you know, when people are applying to be instructors, uh, we don't really know anything about them, and we're trying to see what their ability is. We try to see what their passion is. We try and see what their professionalism. But you know, with hiring, it's a very it's a very hard t- way to do that, and none of that appears on their you know their CV or their, their their resume. And so we've been really happy in that the finishing program gives us a chance to see people who are instructors to uh, to see how well they take in new information to see how they can approach kind of the big picture thinking we're talking about. Uh, And I think it also gives people who are going, attending the finishing school a chance to see how, you know, this one school does it uh, and how uh, a very structured syllabus might work. And after that, we can decide if sometimes there's a fit that they, the right thing is for them that we'd offer a job to somebody who does really well in the class. But even without that, I think what what, happens is they can go back to their school and maybe beef up their syllabus a little bit mm-hmm. instead of just doing, and then we do a stall and then we do something else, spend a little bit more time and build a little bit more structure uh, so that they can you know, raise the student to higher standards than just the check right. So, so we've been real happy with it. I mean, we, we were able to borrow a lot of the material from our CFI Indoc program, but because we were offering it to outsiders, we had, it really forced us to, come at it anew uh, and think of that about it in a way that somebody that was going to go back to their school would get the fuller experience and so that that we did create several modules that we just all ate and breathed it but we had to create a module so that uh, for somebody that was new to it how could they take value and and take it back to their school so yeah we've been very happy with it And, and it's very much fits in like I said we just think Aviation is so fun and teaching is so amazing and just if there's any way that any other school can benefit from what we're doing or that anybody that knows a better way to do something wants to share with us, we love that exchange of information. And so welcoming in outside instructors uh, to our program, even if they go back to another school, has been, uh, we just
0: love it. So if I want to do this, um, how long is it start to finish?
1: We do it in a four-day program. There's an option to do um, um, in-flight training for for instructors that want to actually see how we break down some of the flight maneuvers and some of the specific exercises we do uh, or uh, how to approach it in a deeper way. We'll do in-flight training. So some people may stay a day or two after that to do more flight training. Uh, But as a big group class, we. We do it in four days, uh, Monday through Thursday. We do it a couple times a year. The next one's in February. Uh, if anyone's interested in the program, I think you can just search CFI Finishing School. I think we're the first thing that isn't an ad that pops up. Or go to the website at St. Carlos Flight Center.
0: Okay. Yeah. So um, you told me it looks like the next one is uh, February 6th through 9th. And then the one after that, if it's too soon for you, if you're interested... The one after that is in May of 23 so a few months down the road um can you say that website one more time sancarlosflight.com sancarlosflight.com and and just out of curiosity and and maybe it fluctuates but is there i'm assuming there must be a cost associated with this uh yeah that it, i think it's kind of stabilized it
1: it bounce around for a while. The 4-day program is $500. If you want to do in-flight training over the next, uh, you know, a couple of flights to learn some of the maneuvers, it's an additional cost to pay for the the airplane time really. I'd have to look up what that is.
0: Sure. Cool. Well, um, I think it's a fantastic program. I I'd love to uh to learn even more. Um, and I'm sure there's another time for that, but, but I love what you're doing with instructors. It's, it's always nice to know that new instructors have support. Um, it's also nice to know that, uh, there's a place they can go to be better. Being better is something I think we can all strive towards no matter how long you've been a, uh, a instructor. And so for that, I, I appreciate that you guys have created this program.
1: Yeah, thank you. I I appreciate it. I like to see, I like this podcast. I like the work Matthew's doing to have instructors help each other. I think it's it's a great profession, and the more that we can help each other, the better.
0: Yeah, I I like to use the analogy of if we always have to push the same rock up the same hill, then every new instructor has to start from the bottom. And if we can find a way to just make that hill a little bit less tall, then everybody starts a little bit further up. And uh, it sounds like that's exactly what you guys are doing over there. So, once again, uh, Dan, thanks for coming. Thanks for sharing uh, this knowledge with us and and, uh, information on your program. I look forward to hearing more good things about it. And hopefully, you'll come back and and join us again.
1: Great. Thanks, Sean.